This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a new week. It's the 26th day of July, 2021. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Beautiful day here in the Northeast. Well, going to be a hot one, a little bit humid, but uh, no rain, so uh, we'll take it. And uh, lots to talk about. Probably uh, we should start it off with uh, Olympic basketball. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh the men's basketball team at the U.S. Olympics lost to France in its first game over the weekend by a final of 83-76. to 76. Uh, It is just, and th- these are staggering numbers. The Americans, that loss was just the sixth time in 144 games of the Olympics, all time, that the Americans have lost. Think about that. So they are 138 and 6 now all time. So when the United States loses in basketball in the Olympics, it is a big deal. Uh, and they are 53 and 4 in the Olympics with NBA players on the roster. If you remember back in 2004, remember in Athens, that team lost three times, managed to get the bronze medal, but that was gross. So, you know, this is not something that the United States is used to. Now, they lost a couple of, uh, you know, prelim games, and people were, like, losing their minds. And now there is real concern, and I don't know how concerned you want to get. I mean, it's not like, you know, splitting the atom or anything like that. But for basketball fans and Olympic fans, there is real concern that this team may not win the gold medal. Um, the United States had a lead in this game with, with, uh, three and a half minutes to go. The United States was up seven. France outscored the U S 16 to two down the stretch. The United States missed its last nine shots, five of them in a 21 second spurt in the final minute. Think about, I mean, you know, and, and here's the thing. It's difficult. You're bringing a, a group of NBA players together that have never played together asking them to gel in a very short period of time uh, against a coach they're not used to playing with, having to run an offense that they didn't run all season. you know. So there are adjustments that they have to make. The other part of this is a lot of these guys didn't get to Japan until less than 24 hours before the first game. So you're on a 16-hour flight. And, you know, you don't uh, – then you got to get out and, and find your legs and be able to play basketball. Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the NBA, was terrible, had 10 points. He got in foul trouble early in this one, picked up three fouls uh, in the first half. 
He's only done that 10 times in 544 career NBA games. You know, uh, so, <laughs> and this is a France team that didn't seem surprised. I mean, when the game was over, they kind of were like, yeah, well, we beat them. You know, now if you remember, France beat the United States a couple of years ago in the uh, Basketball World Cup. The United States finished seventh in that one. You know, it was the worst ever performance by any USA basketball team with NBA players. Um, but look, you know, the team's not out of it. They have to play Iran on Wednesday. They're going to beat Iran by a million points. They have to play the Czech Republic on Saturday. They will win that game. So they will advance to the quarterfinals. Um, what happens after that, you know, who knows? But this, you know, we're seeing a, a world now that is not afraid of the United States when it comes to basketball. You know, the other part of this is, and, and we can we can call it, you know, the COVID effect if you want, but not all of the United States' best players are there. I mean, LeBron James isn't there, folks. You know, uh, there are a number of guys, uh, you, you know, that are not there because they chose to stay behind because they did not want to deal with the COVID protocols. You know, can you blame them? You know what I mean? Um, so that's the other piece of this. This isn't, this isn't the dream team. You know? Uh, so, you know, it's not it, getting, it, getting everybody on board is not easy anymore. There's too much money involved in the NBA. These guys are all millionaires. So you've got to find, you know, there's got to be some patriotism involved, et cetera. And I don't know that that's there in this country right now. I mean, we have people in this country rooting against our Olympic team. What the hell is the matter? You know, what's going on? You know, I'm watching, uh, you know, looking at social media, and you've got people rooting against the United States. I don't get it. So, you know, it's, among, it's, it's in that backdrop where, you know, these kinds of things happen. So they'll get to the quarterfinals. What happens after that is anybody's guess, but I know this. Kevin Durant's going to play better. You know, there's no, you know, Damian Lillard's going to play better. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday led the United States with 18 points. You know, Evan Fournier, uh, who, who is, uh, uh, and also ran for the Celtics at 28 points for France. I mean, he had a game of his life, you know, uh, so they're going to be better. Kevin Durant's going to play better. Give these guys a little bit more time to get used to the time change, you know, get off the, the hangover from the flight, et cetera. They're going to be better, but man. Uh, this was a wake-up call if there ever was a wake-up call. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Not a bad thing. So uh, so they play Iran on uh, Wednesday, and, and we'll see how it goes. You know, but uh, surprise. The other thing I wanted to talk about this morning, uh, shifting gears a little bit, there was a story that appeared this weekend, or I think I actually showed up on Friday about the deplorable conditions that some of the minor league players for the Los Angeles Angels are facing. 
there are, you know, you, you've got guys, and look, we've known for years that, that guys are uh, not making a lot of money in the minor leagues, but it is way worse than we thought. For, for instance, we've got guys, six guys living in a three-bedroom apartment sleeping on twin mattresses. One person sleeps in the kitchen. Two others sleep in the living room. Uh, you know, there's guys that are, are sleeping in camper vans in a trailer park. There are guys, these are minor league players. That one guy had to retire because he was losing $1,000 a month from his savings. Think about that. The average salary for a low minor league player, a guy in, in single A, rookie leagues, etc., it's about $400 a week. $1,600 a month, that's before taxes. And the majority of that goes to housing. These guys, I mean, these guys cannot survive on this. That means the average player is making, you know, what, about eight grand for a season? If that, that's obscene. That's less than minimum wage. You know, there's people working at McDonald's making a lot more money than these guys. And these are are major league baseball teams worth billions? What the hell are we doing? Um. So, you know, and Artie Moreno, the uh, you know the owner of the Angels, is like, oh, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. We, we you know, it's unacceptable. We're going to look into it. We're going to address it. Oh, good. Now, there are teams that are making changes. The Red Sox are one of them. The Mets, the Giants. Um, the Red Sox are now giving players a housing allowance. Any guy that is on one of their you know, full-season minor league teams is getting a housing allowance in addition to their salary. That is a step in the right direction. Giants doing the same thing. New York Mets have done something similar. Um, guys that are, were in extended strip spring training, they weren't getting paid. And now the Red Sox are giving them back pay retroactive to early May. Um, the Mets are one of 12 other teams that are, that are paying guys now for extended spring training guys that weren't quite ready to go, or they wanted to take another look at, you know, we've got teams finally stepping up and doing the right thing. You know, when you've got Major League Baseball contracting teams saying that we're not going to have as many minor league teams because we want to have better facilities, we want to take better care of our players, and yet you have guys that are losing money playing for your organization, there's a problem. So it was good to see in the Boston Globe this morning the story about what the Red Sox are doing. It's good to know a few other teams have stepped up, but Major League Baseball needs to step up. You know, we're worrying about uh, you know whether we're going to have the shift or how fast, uh, how long games are taken, et cetera. And, and all these guys look. The, the minimum Major League salary is like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Okay, <laughs> think, think about that. that's your that's the minimum salary if you're a full time Major Leaguer. And yet we have guys in the minors making $400 a week. That's, there's something wrong with that. I, once, I saw a thing on social media, and it said that 
minimum wage, if you make a minimum wage at your job, that's your employer essentially saying to you, I would pay you less if I could get away with it. Think about that for a minute. So on the so so here in Major League Baseball, minimum wage if if you're full time is six hundred and I think it's maybe six hundred and sixty thousand dollars, whatever it is. But then you have guys working in the minors, guys that are, you know, a couple of uh, months maybe away from playing in the major leagues, making four hundred dollars a week. You know, maybe some of them with a wife, a wife and children and, and trying to figure out a way to survive and dipping into their own money so they can that that would be like me working for the Dunkin' Donuts down the street and paying Dunkin' Donuts so I can work for them. That's what they're doing. Stupid. So before we, you know, address if you're Rob Manfred and part of this collective bargaining agreement that is going forward with Major League Baseball now has got to be something to take care of these young kids, these minor league players. You know, you're not worried about the guys that are the first round draft picks, the guys, you know, like the Red Sox number one draft pick that just got six point six million dollars as a signing bonus. You don't worry about him. He'll be fine. But the majority of these guys are drafted in late rounds. You don't get a signing bonus, and you make $400 a week, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to survive. You know, there are people that are, are, like I said, working minimum wage jobs, making more than these guys are, and there's something wrong with that. Um, You know, and you could say, well, they're playing a game. Look, this is still their job. Their talent is having great athletic ability. That's still their job. They need to get paid a living wage. And $400 a week ain't it. So, you know, uh, Major League Baseball wanted to take over the whole minor league system and, you know, dictate the teams what they're going to do. Well, if you're going to do that, do the right thing by your players and do it quickly. And the more these stories come out, I think the faster it's going to happen because Major League Baseball and all the teams are now being embarrassed into taking care of their own players. Things that that should be part of the standard operating procedure. They have to be shamed into doing the right thing. That you know, that's just not right. All right. Enough ranting this morning. Let's get to some good news. And once again, my wife Barbara looked at me yesterday. She got home from, from work in the afternoon, and it was uh, they were in the sixth inning of the Red Sox game. Red Sox did not have a hit. I, I was damn near apoplectic. I'm sitting here watching this game and watching the Red Sox continuing to swing at bad pitches. And losing my mind. And watching on social media as, you know, people lose their minds. Domingo Herman yesterday looked like the greatest pitcher in the history of pitchers for the for anybody. Uh, when pitching for the Yankees yesterday for the first seven innings. The Red Sox had... No hits. It was so bad for the Red Sox yesterday, they struck out four times in the seventh inning. Four times to get three outs because one of them got away from Gary Sanchez, the worst defensive catcher in baseball, 
pass ball, so a guy on a on a on a third strike ends up reaching first base. Herman says, "No problem. I'll just strike out another guy." I mean, it, so he goes seven. Comes out for the eighth. Red Sox are I'm I'm fuming. There's steam coming off the top of my head, and I've already got this one in the in the uh, in the books as a loss. And then Alex Verdugo comes up to start off the eighth and rips a double over the head of the right fielder. And everybody, you could see it in the park. Everybody, it was like a collective sigh of relief. Oh, thank God, at least we're not going to get no hit by the Yankees. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, and so I, and I, was, I was one of them. Well, then it got better. Now, as soon as as soon as Verdugo got the double, because Herman was up to around 100 pitches, you know, Aaron Boone was out of the dugout. Boom, that's you're done. So they got him out, and uh, they go to the pen, bring up Jonathan Lewisica. Now, Lewisica had been great this year. He came, you know, came into the game yesterday with an ERA of just over two, been dominant. But it was just what the Red Sox needed because he throws differently. He is a hard thrower. You know, Herman was killing the Red Sox with off-speed pitches. Well, Loisaga comes in, and the Red Sox proceed to get four hits in a row. It was like, as Pete Abraham put it in the Boston Globe this morning, it was like somebody flipped a switch. Hunter Renfro with a double. So that scores for Dugo. So now not only are the Red Sox not getting no hit, they're not even getting shut out. Right then, Christian Vasquez on a pitch that was outside just throws his bat at it, gets it right off the end of the bat, bloops it into right field. Hunter Renfro scores. Now it's four to two. Then Franchi Cordero comes up. He just got called up from Worcester. This is a guy that is practically struck out before he gets to the plate. He strikes out half the time he gets up. Franchi Cordero gets a hit up the middle. You know things are going right. Right? So, five pitches, it's 4-2, Franchi Cordero singles, and now we've got runners on the corners. And then Kike Hernandez comes up. Now, Loisic has faced three guys. He's given up three straight hits. So, if you're Aaron Boone, if you want to, you can go to the bullpen, get him out because he faces three pitcher minimum, or three batter minimum. Boone decides to leave him in. Well, he hung a fastball. And Kike Hernandez ripped it down the third baseline. Vasquez scores. It's 4-3. Cordero's on third. Now runners are on second and third and nobody out. So now finally Boone says, well, guess, guess, uh, guess I better go get him. So he goes out. He gets Zach Britton. He's supposed to face the rookie Jared Duran who just got caught, called up. Well, Cora, Alex Cora counters. He sends up Kevin Ploiecki, their backup catcher, as a pinch hitter. Now, Ploiecki just barely makes contact, but he, he hits a slow roller to the shortstop. There's nothing that they can do, so the shortstop picks it up. They got the out, but the runner from third scores. And you're like, it's just, it just doesn't get any better than that. Now we're tied, right? So, Kike now is at third base. And then Xander Bogarts comes up, fly ball to right. Kike Hernandez ties, uh, tags up, scores. Red Sox have a 5-4 lead. And just like that, you would think it's Christmas. I, 
I was literally up off my chair dancing. Not an image anybody needs, by the way. My wife just was <laughs> laughing at me. She just absolutely, you know, the, the mood swings that I have when watching a baseball game, when it involves the Boston Red Sox, just never ceases to amaze her. She should be used to it by now, but she's not. Well, then Matt Barnes comes out. A little bit of drama in the ninth inning, but he still gets out of it. And the Red Sox come back to beat the Yankees 5-4 after being no hit for seven innings. The Yankees are now nine games back. Tampa loses somehow yesterday. We'll get to that in a minute. They lose. So now the Red Sox are back in first place all by themselves. And this was, by the way, a day after on Saturday when Nate Evaldi had started for the Red Sox and absolutely destroyed the Yankees, and somehow the Yankees came up with some little blue pits, you know, little bleeders, uh, to come back to beat the Red Sox on Saturday. So this was kind of a, uh, a turnabout as fair play kind of thing. But the Red Sox, their 32nd come-from-behind win, uh, 22 games over 500, back in first place all alone, and uh, everybody is happy, including me. And my wife was highly entertained. You know, and the thing we can't forget, is Martin Perez started the game yesterday. And I, look, I'm, uh, Martin Perez was great the first part of the season. You know, his first 11 starts this year, he had an ERA of right around three. But in his last eight outings, coming up to Sunday, before Sunday, in his last eight outings, he had an ERA of over six. Opponents were hitting 362 against him. They were killing him. Yesterday, he goes out and he gives the Red Sox six Solid innings. And I, and by the way, I, I misspoke. It was on Friday night when Evaldi uh, ended up losing that game. Saturday's game, Erod started. And after an inning, he's out of the game because he's got like a migraine headache and he was like out in space and they got him out of the game. So the bullpen was really taxed. So they needed Perez to do something yesterday. Well, he gave him six. And he gave up six hits and three runs. You know what? From your number five starter, I'll take that every day. And it's better than he had given them in his previous eight outings. So, hats off to Martin Perez. You know, he's not winning the Cy Young Award, but he did exactly what the Red Sox needed him to do yesterday. So now the Red Sox uh, will welcome the Toronto Blue Jays to town. It's a four-game series that starts tonight. Nick Pavetta is going to get the start for the Red Sox. Um... It is, uh, he is going to be taking on a kid that's going to be making his uh, season debut, a kid that came up uh, and pitched last year. Thomas Hatch will start tonight for Toronto. Red Sox, you know, with an opportunity here because now the Yankees, now the Yankees have today off, but then they go and they have to play the Tampa Bay Rays. So, you know, you know, we were looking for Cleveland to do the Red Sox a favor, and they finally did yesterday. Now we're kind of looking for the Yankees, believe it or not. If, if you're a, a Red Sox fan, you're actually rooting for the Yankees tonight to beat Tampa in this three-game series that starts on Tuesday. I mean, I, you know, if the, matter of fact, you not only that, you want the Yankees to sweep the Rays because the Yankees are nine back. If the Red Sox keep winning and they sweep the Rays, you know, you get a little breathing room. Matter of fact, you know, if all goes well, 
you know, and I don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get carried away here, but if the Red Sox were to win three out of four from Toronto and Tampa gets swept, I mean, the Red Sox, you know, could have a four-game lead in the American League East. The Yankees would still be like uh, eight back, and Toronto would be 12 and a half back and done. So, uh, big week for the Red Sox, no question. Uh, they need some help from the New York Yankees. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, the other big news for Boston is Chris Sale made another rehab start on Sunday. He pitched for Portland for the second time, went three and two-thirds innings, got his pitch count uh, up to where they wanted it to be. He threw 64 pitches, 46 of them for strikes, three and two-thirds innings. He did allow a couple of, <clears throat> a couple of runs, one of them on a home run. Uh, the, the other one was an inherited runner that was allowed to score after he had left the game. But in three and two-thirds innings, he allowed six hits. He struck out nine. Uh, didn't walk anybody. I mean, he has been dominant. And uh, he will make another rehab start coming up on Friday for AAA Worcester. The hope is, is that they get his pitch count up into around 80 and hope that he can go five or six innings. If he gets up to that 80-pitch mark and goes five innings for Worcester on Friday, the Red Sox could have him for the first week of August. And then you don't have to worry about trying to go out and make a deal for a starting pitcher, you know, uh, because that'd be expensive, because you're going to get the best <laughs> trade deadline acquisition ever in Chris Sale. And by all accounts, Sale looks like the old Sale. His fastball was up to 96, 97 miles an hour, throwing all his pitches and seemed to have command of everything. You know, the big key will be today, after that outing yesterday, does he feel okay? Is there any soreness? There haven't been any setbacks to this point, and the Red Sox are crossing their fingers. There won't be any, and uh, we could see him back in a Boston uniform and on the mound next week. Wouldn't shock me, by the way, if they decided to go two starts in Worcester this Friday and then another one the following week and then bring him up. But at worst, Chris Sale is here in, uh, you know, two weeks. All goes well. He's here in a week. Keep your fingers crossed. 32 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call on a Monday morning. So the uh, Indians finally did the Red Sox a favor. They snapped an 11-game losing streak to the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, Tampa has just owned the Indians. Uh, and it looked like the Indians were in trouble yesterday. But uh, Cleveland rallies in the eighth inning. Uh, scored a couple of runs. It was a Bobby Bradley sacrifice fly in the eighth inning. That was the difference. Uh, the Indians were in danger of falling under 500 for the first time since May the 1st. Uh, and the game was actually kind of similar uh, to what happened to the Red Sox yesterday. I mean, Cleveland had managed just one run in seven innings against Ryan Yarborough, who got the start. And then the greatest thing that could have happened to Cleveland happened, and that's that uh, they went to the bullpen. Matt Whistler came in, and uh, then Cesar Hernandez with a, a leadoff single. Whistler hits Ahmed Rosario uh, 
an RBI single by Ramirez, and then the sacrifice fly, and uh, then uh, James Karinchak and Emmanuel Clase uh, finish things up for Cleveland, and uh, they beat the Rays 3-2. to two. So now the Rays are one full game behind the Red Sox. They finally uh, they had a five-game winning streak snapped, and uh, all is right with the world. Now, as far as Cleveland goes, you know, Cleveland is – I think come to the realization that uh, they're they're not there's not much left there's not much hope left for Cleveland nine back and they're five back of the second wild card. Uh, it is going to be very difficult. Now the good news for them is it they are very close to getting uh, Aaron Savali back. He is throwing a bullpen today. Uh, it's supposed to be only fastballs. You know, trying to come back from that sprained finger. But Savali was ten and two when he got hurt back on June the 21st. And with all the other injuries that they have had, uh, he is a big piece that they need to get back. And uh, we'll see what happens when he throws that bullpen. Hopefully that's a step in the right direction. Uh, the Indians have the day off today, and then they have a quick two-game series against the Cardinals. Uh, and as I said, the uh, uh, the Rays will be taking on the New York Yankees. Shane McClanahan is going to get the opening start uh, against the Yankees. Uh, and that series is down in Tampa. But, uh, again, big fans of the Yankees this week. You'll never hear me say that again. Uh, the other game in the American League East of note, uh, the New York Mets defeated the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday 5-4. Um, and, and this was odd, too. You know, one of the things that happened over the weekend was that Tampa made the trade, I think it was on Thursday, to get Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz, by the way, had a home run for Tampa yesterday. It was his second home run in a Rays uniform. Uh, but then uh, over the weekend, they shipped Rich Hill, one of their starting pitchers, to the New York Mets for a couple of prospects. Uh, you know, and uh, just it seems strange. You know, you're make you're on one hand you're adding offense, on another hand you're trading pitching. You know, that's not a uh, a common occurrence. But then again, Tampa doesn't do anything normal. Uh, but Rich Hill pitched for the Mets yesterday and was really, really good uh, for the first five innings. He'd only thrown 49 pitches in the first five innings, as a matter of fact. Comes out for the sixth and gets in some trouble. He lets the first three batters reach in the sixth inning. They take him out. They bring in Seth Lugo, and Seth Lugo proceeds to allow all three inherited runners to score. Um uh, so Hill goes from leaving with a 3 nothing lead to uh, getting a no decision. But he pitched well. You know, um, it may have been a case that they just, uh, you know. But then again, at 49 pitches through five innings, you're not thinking that uh, he's getting tired. But Rich Hill's also 41 years old. Uh, but so Lugo lets them all score, but then the Mets come back. Uh, Pete Alonzo with a home run, and then Jeff McNeil broke the tie, a pinch hit uh, two-run double. And uh, the Mets come back to win that game against the Blue Jays 5-4. to four. Edwin Diaz picks up his 21st save of the year for the Mets. And uh, the Blue Jays are in trouble. Nine and a half back right now. Uh, Pete Alonso, by the way, who wins the home run derby, you know, they say a lot of times that uh, the home run derby is a problem and guys' swings get all screwed up. Since the All-Star break, Pete Alonso has hit five home runs. So I don't think being in the All-Star game, uh, home run derby, bothered him. And maybe we can finally put that whole BS to rest. 
You know, that's just that's just something that's it's one of those urban legends that's been going around in Major League Baseball for years. The other good news for the Mets is they are very close to getting Carlos Carrasco back. He was really sharp in a rehab start for Triple A Syracuse on Sunday. Struck out six, didn't walk anybody, uh, only gave up two hits over three innings. Uh, 32 of his 38 pitches for strikes. Uh, he had been roughed up his previous rehab start, so he's going to make another start for Syracuse. And if it is as encouraging as this one, uh, he could be back with the Mets in a week to 10 days, something that they desperately need uh, because, you know, that's one of the reasons they had to go out and get Rich Hill is that they are just struggling. Now, the Mets have a five-game series, a rare five-game series, uh, against the Atlanta Braves. It's a doubleheader today. Marcus Stroman is going to start the opener. They have not announced who the uh, nightcap pitcher will be. But, look, the Mets have a four-game lead in the NL East right now over Philly, five over Atlanta. So the script could be switched very quickly. If Atlanta comes into New York and you know puts on a show and sweeps that series, uh, the Mets could find themselves uh, suddenly tied or out of first place by the end of this series. I don't expect that to happen, by the way. The Braves continue to uh you know to struggle i mean they're playing they're four games or excuse me two games under 500 they've lost six of the last 10 uh, you know there's nothing that makes you think that all of a sudden they're going to be able to flip the switch especially without ronald acuna jr and suddenly uh turn things around but it's a big series uh that starts today with that double header in new york uh other big american league game yesterday and i watched some of this last night on espn uh the chicago white sox a uh, a victory over the Milwaukee Brewers last night. The Brewers were looked like for a while they might have a chance to sweep this series, but Lance Lynn put any uh, thoughts of that to bed. He pitches six solid innings yesterday, and not only that, he drove in two of the three Chicago runs uh, with a single. And uh, as my buddy Dave Massey always likes to say, nobody wants to see pitchers hit. And even Lance Lynn admitted to this yesterday. It was funny. It was his first at bat since 2019. So he comes in yesterday, and he's facing one of the best pitchers in the National League, and Brandon Woodruff, and he gets the two-run single. And even Lance Lynn at the end, he said, uh, yeah, he said blind squirrel or something like that. I mean, even he knows, said he had no business getting a hit. Woodruff was like, you know what? I should have thrown him a breaking ball, and he, he didn't. He threw him the fastball, and Lynn somehow got it in there for a, uh, a two-run single. And, uh, yeah, I know Dave. Dave's, Dave's watching right now on Facebook. and uh, But – you know what? The Chicago White Sox will take that blind squirrel so they avoid the sweep. They pick up the victory yesterday, uh, and they retain that nine-game lead uh, in the American League Central. As far as the Brewers go, uh, they have a six-and-a-half game lead in the National League Central over the Cincinnati Reds, eight over St. Louis, nine over the Cubs. Uh, they are the only team, by the way, in the NL Central with a positive run differential. They are 16 games over 500. They look like they've got a stranglehold on that division, but a, uh, a good win for the White Sox. The White Sox will have a four-game series against the Kansas City Royals uh, beginning tonight. Dallas Keuchel will take the mound, 7-3. Uh, and three. Mike Miner on the hill for the Royals. The Brewers are off today, and then they get to feast on the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it'll be a Pittsburgh Pirates team, by the way, that will not have their all-star second baseman in Adam Frazier because the Pirates, who obviously are out of it and obviously are always money conscious, 
traded Frazier, who, by the way, is still under team control for two more years after this one. They traded him to the San Diego Padres yesterday for a couple of prospects. Uh, Look, and if you're Pittsburgh and you're 19 and a half games out, you know, uh, go ahead. I mean, I guess, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, Frazier was going to get probably more money in arbitration than you wanted to give him, and, uh, you know, they're able to keep the payroll down going forward. But, you know, again, I you did that Pittsburgh model. At, at some point, you have to wonder, you know, if somebody's going to say, well, you know what, we, we, we've got to – We've got to find a new way. If the Tampa Bay Rays, who have the 28th lowest salary, uh, team salary in Major League Baseball, can figure out a way to win, you would think that teams like the Pirates could figure it out. But they never have. Uh, So, and now, by the way, the Padres, how about this? The Padres have, like, a wealth of riches on the infield. You know, they've got... I think seven, six all-stars on that team now by adding Frazier. You know, and, and you know, with Frazier, they've already got Jake Cronenworth, right, uh, who plays second base. Now, Frazier can also play the outfield. They could move Cronenworth to the outfield. You've got Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis on the left side. You're not moving them, but, man, I mean, this Padres team is loaded. And the Padres, look, this I don't want to call it a desperation move, but they – the two prospects that they gave up were not insignificant. I think one of them was their number five prospect, and the other one might have been their number ten prospect. Uh, they gave up a couple of pretty good players to get Frazier, but they find themselves in a situation right now where they're five and a half back of the Giants. Uh, they're tied, you know, for the wild card right now, and you know they're in a position where they feel like if they don't make a move, they're going to get left in the dust. So they had to, uh, and I don't, you know, there were some rumors. I got an email from a buddy of mine, uh, Dennis Schimmel, out in Minnesota, and he said one of the rumors out in Minnesota is that the Red Sox were interested in Jose Barrios and that the Red Sox were willing to trade Tristan Cassius, their number one prospect, to get him. And I said, I don't know what they're smoking in Minnesota, but there is no chance that that's going to happen. Hyam Bloom has said he is not going to mortgage the future you know, to make a move at the trade deadline. Tristan Cassis is the last guy they are going to trade. Um, so, you know, but that's what happens, you know, with, with trade deadline deals. Everybody's got, uh, you know, an opinion and, are, and rumors get started. Sometimes it's media guys that start rumors. That, but San Diego has a wealth of riches in their minor league system. The Red Sox do not. You know, the Red Sox have a handful of guys, and, you know, hopefully this last draft will uh, improve that a little bit. But the Red Sox don't have as much as the Padres have, so the Padres felt that they could make this move. So, uh, you know, if if you're a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, I don't know, you know, how do you, you know, how do you still root for this team that's 23 games under 500 and shipping off one of your most popular players? It's uh, it's unfathomable. I can't I can't imagine living in a city with a team that's that bad. It's 47 minutes past the hour. We got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. A few minutes left uh, this morning. The other big race in the American League is the one in the West between the Oakland Athletics and the Houston Astros. And uh, the Seattle Mariners 
are trying very hard to insert themselves in that conversation. But the one thing the Mariners have done, even if there's still, still seven back of Houston, but the one thing that the Mariners have now done is they have inserted themselves right in the middle of the wild card race. They are only a game and a half back of the Oakland Athletics who right now uh, would have the second wild card position. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays would have the number one wild card slot right now, but they are just a game and a half back as they beat the Oakland Athletics yesterday, four to three. Uh, Seattle took three out of four from Oakland in that series this past weekend, and I'll tell you what, I still don't know how they're doing it. This is a team that's eight games over five hundred with a run differential of minus fifty two. It is mind-boggling, but uh, a Kyle Seeger two-out, two-run single, part of a four-run third inning, and uh, they end up beating the Athletics yesterday, four to three. Cole Irvin got the start for Oakland. It was his shortest outing of the season. Um, went just four innings, five hits, four runs. He struck out three, walk one, and uh, Marco Gonzalez wins his second consecutive start. For the Mariners, this is a guy who hadn't won uh, in like forever. Uh, he hadn't won a game, I don't think, until April, until his last start, and now he's won two in a row. Uh, goes five and two-thirds yesterday, gives up just two runs and five hits, and then four uh, bullpen arms do a great job of getting them through that, and they end up beating uh, the Oakland Athletics. So the A's now five and a half back because Zach Greinke, uh, with a good start yesterday for the Houston Astros. And they send the Texas Rangers to their 12th straight loss. That is the second longest losing streak in Rangers history. Um, the record, by the way, is 15. And that was set back in 1972. Do you know who the manager of the Texas Rangers was when they had that 15-game losing streak? It was a, their first season after moving from Washington when they were the Senators. Their manager was none other than Ted Williams. <laughs> How about that? When they lost 15 back in 1972. Uh, so that capped off a 0-10 road trip for the Rangers. That's the worst in team history. Uh, it's just brutal. And Zach Greinke yesterday, six innings, five hits, just one run. Uh, and if you're the Rangers, it ain't going to get any easier. Uh, they've got an off day today. Uh, but then, uh, well, it might get easier. Maybe they've got a chance to snap it. They do have the Arizona Diamondbacks coming in. But the Houston Astros, if big series for them because they play the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners who just took those three out of four from the A's uh, they've got a three-game series that starts tonight. Luis Garcia, who has been great for the Astros this year, will get the start. He's got a 7-5 and record, but a 2.88 ERA, uh, a guy who is still a rookie. I mean, he pitched for the Astros last year, but he didn't uh, pitch enough innings to qualify uh, for Rookie of the Year. So he is uh, he's a rookie, and this kid is having a great year, and uh, he will get the start for the Rangers tonight. Uh, the Angels win yesterday. Not that it really matters. They're out of the race. But, of course, the big story here, all anybody wants to talk about, is Shohei Otani, his 35th home run of the year. That leads the major leagues. Uh, he had two hits. He also had a uh, uh, an RBI single. And uh, they took three out of four games uh, from the Twins. Uh, 
Um, Otani is heating up again. Again, at this point, it's probably too late. The uh, Mike Trout is supposed to have a doctor's visit today, but he is still struggling with that calf strain. They said that he still feels a little bit in that area, and they are not going to let him out there until they are 100% sure. If, you know, I guess, you know, if they get him back, maybe there's time to make a run. The problem is, is that, you know, you're like 10 back and you're chasing Houston. It's not like, you know, you're trying to run down the Texas Rangers in first place. So, you know, it's probably too late for them. But Shohei Otani is the story. And then the debate's going to happen. And we, I've already debated this, whether, you know, everybody thinks that Shohei Otani should be the MVP because he pitches, because he hits. Um, you know, but I always go back to, and we've, we've seen it, Mike Trout has won a bunch of MVPs playing for a losing team. But to me... I don't know how you pick an MVP from a team that might not even finish 500. You know, I I just, how valuable of a player are you if, if your team can't even finish at 500, if your team finishes in fourth place in its own division? Um, you know, to me, uh, you know, right now, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said to you that Vlad Jr. should win MVP. And his numbers certainly tell you that he should. I mean, his numbers, you know, are far better, far better than Otani's. His batting average is about 50 or 60 points higher. You know, Otani's got more home runs. Well, congratulations. But Guerrero's got more runs batted in. He's got a higher slugging percentage. He's got a higher batting average. To me, you know, he's the MVP. But another guy that you could make a case for MVP, Rafi Devers of the Boston Red Sox. That's another guy that you, I mean, it's hard to see a guy, I mean, that has driven in, what, 69 or 70 runs already this season? You know, and seems to get big hit after big hit after big hit. Uh, Rafi Devers, to me, and he's playing for a first-place team. That's a guy you have to consider for an MVP. He Look, he's hitting 280. That's after an 0-for-4 day yesterday. You know, but he just continues to, if it weren't for Rafi Devers, Red Sox aren't in first place. That's the definition of a most valuable player, in my opinion. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning a little music from Jimmy Buffett. Why not? How about, hey, good looking. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.1.